Well, good morning, Watermark. How are we doing today? Hey, it's uh, good to see you. This is our first time together. My name is Timothy Atik, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church. I want to just start by sharing with you that the Atik family has huge news. Uh, we got a Costco membership, so that's a big deal. Thank you. Thanks. Here's what that means. It means that last Sunday, I entered a Costco for the first time ever in my life. And uh, we made it a family affair. Like we loaded up the kids. We went there last Sunday after church here, which is apparently kind of the watermark thing to do, to leave here and to go to Costco. There were so many watermark people at Costco that I'm thinking about approaching Costco about becoming a satellite location for the church. But as I was thinking about my experience, I realized that there, there are actually several similarities between Costco and Watermark. Okay, they're both large. They're both packed on Sundays. They both have like a variety of things and offerings for kind of the whole family. Like there's something for everyone. And uh, every Sunday, there are people walking both buildings asking the question, do I really want to keep my membership here? Like, are my needs being met? And some of you are like, I've never asked that question about Costco. <laughs> Here's the deal. Last Sunday, when I walked through Costco, that was the question that, that I was asking. Okay, we just paid for this membership. It was my first time in the store. And so I'm just evaluating are my needs getting met? Like, is this really, is it really worth it? And that's fine. That's an okay question for you to ask when you're at Costco. But I'm just letting you know, if you bring that question into the church, uh, it's just too, it's too simple of a question. It's too shallow of a question. I believe that there is a much more robust list of questions that you should be asking this church or any church that you decide to visit. And so here's the thing. Uh, if you're new to Watermark, if this is your first time here, if you're just visiting, if you're just checking things out, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give you a list of six questions that we're going to pull out of 1 Peter chapter 2. And these are questions that before you become a member here, I think you should find out answers to these questions. And if you've been at Watermark for a long time and you love it here, I think you need to be asking these questions to figure out if this is a place that you should stay. And if you're thinking about leaving Watermark and going to another church, you should ask these questions of any place that you go to visit. Before you become a member anywhere, I think that there's a much more robust list of questions besides... Are my needs being met? There's a much better list of questions, much more thorough list of questions that you should be asking to make sure that you are in the right church. So if you have a Bible, turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If this is your first time here in a while, then we, you just need to know that we are in a series walking verse by verse to the book of 1 Peter. Peter writes this book to a primarily Gentile audience of believers who are experiencing suffering for their faith. And he is writing 
to encourage them. And in the particular section that we're looking today, what we are going to see Peter do is he's going to remind his readers of everything that is true about the people of God. Okay? We refer to the people of God as the universal church. So I just want to make sure that I, I don't assume that we all define the, ch- the word church the same way. Because when I say the word church, I don't know what comes to mind. For many of you, a building that holds religious gatherings might be what you think. But here at Watermark, and as we study the scriptures, here is what is clear. The church isn't a building. The church is a people. And so we refer to two churches, the universal church, the big C church, and the local church, the little C church. Okay, the universal church is just a reference to all believers in the world. Anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ combines together to comprise the universal church. The local church, Watermark is a local church. The local church is simply a local expression of the universal church. When Peter is writing, he is writing to express everything that is true about the universal church. But the way that we invest in and experience the universal church is by, is by being involved in a local church. So what is true of the universal church? Well, we're going to find out in 1 Peter 2, it should be true of the local church. And that's where we are going to get our six questions. Look with me, 1 Peter Chapter 2, let me read you verses 4 through 12. Here's what Peter says. He says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by, by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in the scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Six questions that you need to ask of this church or any other church that you attend. Here they are. First question is this. Is it all about Jesus? Number two, are the people all in? Number three, is the spirit moving? Number four, are the people full of hope? Number five, is it on mission? And number six, are the people authentic? The first question that we're going to answer today is, is it all about Jesus? Where do I get that from? 
Well, look back at verse 4, okay? I encourage you, bring a Bible every Sunday. We walk verse by verse through the text. We will wear your Bibles out. We believe this book is the Word of God, and so I encourage you, bring a copy and follow along with me. Verse 4, look at it for yourselves. Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So he says, as you come to Jesus, meaning as you put your faith in Jesus Christ, who are you coming to? You're coming to a living stone. Now, Peter is using building imagery that he is pulling from the Old Testament. When he's writing verse 4, and honestly, verses 4 through 6, he has a specific verse from the Old Testament in mind. It's Isaiah 28, 16. He's actually going to quote Isaiah 28, 16 in verse 6. And in verse 6, we find out that God is referred to as the cornerstone. And so when we read Peter referring to Jesus as a living stone, he is pulling this imagery from the Old Testament and applying it to Jesus that Jesus is the cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? A cornerstone was the principal stone usually placed at the corner of a building that guided the course of construction. Once the cornerstone was set, it became the basis for determining every measurement in the remaining structure. Everything was aligned to the cornerstone. For Peter to say, as you come to him, the living stone, all he's saying is, remember, Jesus Christ is the foundation. If you remove Jesus from Christianity, the building of Christianity crumbles to the ground. Jesus as the cornerstone is the foundation of the universal church. Therefore, Jesus should be the foundation of every local church, including this church, and Jesus should be the foundation of each one of our lives if we say that we know Jesus Christ as Savior. Here's what that means. This church, in any other place, any other group of people that refer to themselves as a church, we should be all about Jesus. Every sermon should be about Jesus. Every sermon should point to Jesus. Every ministry in the church should have as its goal to lead people to sing Jesus and surrendering fully to life with him. The church is to be all about Jesus. Why? Well, because of everything else that Peter said in verse 4. So look back at it. All of the wording in verse 4 is extremely important. He says, as you come to him, a what stone? A living stone. That's a reference to Jesus's resurrection. Rejected by men. That's a reference to his crucifixion. But in the sight of God, chosen, meaning that Jesus has been God's key, the key to God's plan for salvation since before the foundations of the earth, and he's precious. The word precious means that Jesus is of immeasurable value, and he's worthy of honor. So when you put all of those truths together, what do you get? You get the gospel, the good news of Christianity. Like if you're here and you're not a Christian, someone brought you here, you're just visiting, you're just exploring, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Let me make sure you know what we're about. We are about good news, and here it is. God foreordained that Jesus Christ would leave heaven and come to earth. Before the foundations of the earth, God foreordained 
that Jesus Christ would leave heaven, come to earth, God would take on flesh in the person of Jesus. He would be rejected by men. He would be crucified on a cross for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, what he was doing was he was making payment for your sins and mine. He was being punished in our place for all of the ways that we have lived contrary to God's ways. Jesus Christ was put in a tomb, and on the third day, he walked out of it victoriously. The resurrection is a declaration that Jesus' payment for our sin was accepted by God. Jesus Christ then ascended into heaven where he sat down at the right hand of the Father and today Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning with the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And when you put your faith in him, when you surrender your life to him, we who were children of wrath become children of God. That is is why Jesus is at the center of everything we do. That is why this church and every church must be all about Jesus. I remember about a decade ago, I was leading a ministry in Waco and we started a dating series. We were talking through the book of Song of Solomon and and I was blown away because our attendance just shot through the roof, which is not a surprise considering the subject matter. And I was so fired up. We talked about dating. We talked about what to look for in a guy or a girl. And then I was talking to a friend afterward and was just sharing with him how the attendance had spiked and everything that I'd shared about who to look for in a guy or a girl. And and then he asked me, he said, hey man, I just want to ask, did you share the gospel? I was like, no. And I was so convicted because I had done a good job about talking to people about romantic love, but I had never pointed to the greater love. The love that God has for us. The love that has been expressed for us through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And from that phone call, I've resolved that any opportunity that I have to teach the word of God, it will always center on the person of Jesus Christ. And I've made a decision that I don't want to be I don't want to work for any organization or church that doesn't share the same value. That's why I'm so grateful that coming here to Watermark a year ago, do you know what the vision is of the church? We have been transformed by who? Christ. To love like who? Christ. It's all about Jesus. Okay, the reason that we teach this book Uh, verse by verse, is we believe that every single page of the Bible points to Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. The second question that I encourage you to ask is this. Are the people all in? Are the people all in? If the church is not a building but a people, then you have to have people in order to have a church. You cannot have a church without people committed to being the church. Where do I get that from? Look with me at verse 5. Peter goes on, and what does he say? He says this, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, 
I, I want you to see what Peter is doing. What he is doing is he is showing us that Jesus' identity informs our identity individually and collectively. Because Jesus Christ is the living cornerstone, that informs who we are. What does Peter call us? Look back at verse 5. He says, you yourselves like what? Living stones. He just called Jesus a living stone in verse 4. Jesus is the living cornerstone, and because he's the living cornerstone, we are living stones. So if you know Jesus Christ, you are a stone. What does it mean to be a stone? It means that you build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It means that Jesus Christ isn't just a part of your life. He's the point and passion of your life. That's what it means to be a stone. God has made us to be stones individually. But the reason that God has made us stones individually is because it is his intention for us to be a house collectively. Look back at the text. It says, you yourselves like living stones are what? Being built up as a spiritual house. House here is a, it's carrying the idea of the temple from the Old Testament. This passage is laced with Old Testament imagery. And so what we see is, is Peter is taking the idea of the, the temple, which was a building that the presence of God resided in, in the Old Testament, and he is shifting it to the people of God, the church in the New Testament, that we collectively, we are individually stones, and yet we are to fit together to form the, the temple of God. Now, this is, this is so important because this kind of rails against our Western individualism. There's this tendency, especially now, for people to be like, you know what? Especially after the pandemic, it's like, you know what? I kind of found like, I don't know that I necessarily need to prioritize going to church because Jesus and I have a good thing going. You know, honestly, organized spirituality, there's drama, there's red tape, they want my money. But you know what? As long as I've got Jesus and Jesus has got me, that's really all I need. And what Peter is saying is that mentality actually doesn't work and to take that mentality is to deny your identity because you're a stone. And the reason that you're a stone is that you have been made by God to fit together with other stones to be a house together. It's kind of like this, okay? In our house at home, my home, we have a tub that's about this wide and this deep of mist, of separated Lego parts. And I'm sure many of you have the, that same thing. Okay, this right here, I just want, let's zoom in on this right here. This is, this is a Lego piece that I, look at that beautiful Lego piece. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> like I went into the bin this morning and I pulled this baby out. What is the question that I asked when I picked up this piece? I wonder what it belongs to. Period. We have not put this Lego piece on display at our house. Like this doesn't sit on our mantle. This isn't on our kitchen table so that we can admire it. This 
is simply one piece that exists to fit together with several other pieces to form something impressive, but by itself, it will never fulfill the purpose for which it has been created. And so you just need to know that when you take the mentality, as long as I've got Jesus and Jesus has me, or you take the mentality of, I'm going to attend church, but I'm not going to invest in the church, then you need to know from heaven's perspective, do you know what you look like? You look like this Lego piece. You look like you have been separated from all of your brothers and sisters and you're trying to live on your own, but you're just a stone. Stones belong with other stones to form a building that is glorifying to God. And so you can't have a healthy church without people. And so whether it's Watermark or some other church, it's good for you to ask the question, are the people here all in? Because if people here aren't all in, don't join. Wherever you go, if the people aren't all in, don't join. Because what you want is you want stones that are all in to belonging together to be the house of God. I was so encouraged this past Tuesday at our staff meeting, Watermark staff meeting, David Zena asked all 250 staff, he just said, hey, I'd just love to hear from you guys some volunteers, which is you guys, different people in the congregation who are volunteering, and they're just crushing it as volunteers. They're invested here. And all these hands around the room shot up. And so people began to go around, and they were mentioning many of your names. And finally, David had to be like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm cutting it off. And people started booing him for cutting it off. But the point is, is, is we could have gone on another hour or two hours just talking about many of you. Why? Because you're all in. And I love that. The third question that's good for you to ask is this. Is the spirit moving? Is the spirit moving? Now, I'm not saying the spirit doesn't move. Like, there's... The Spirit's always doing something. But Mike, it is good for you to look around and just say, do I see the Spirit at work here at Watermark? Or wherever you go, do you see the Spirit moving? Where do I get that from? Okay, look back at verse 5. There's two words that I really want to clue in on. It's the word living and the word spiritual. Spiritual shows up twice. So let's read verse 5 again. Peter says, you yourselves like living stones. What, what makes stones living? You like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Well, what makes a house spiritual? To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. What makes sacrifices spiritual? Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I asked three questions and all three questions have the same answer. The thing that makes stones living and makes a house and sacrifices spiritual is the Spirit of God. Okay, so let me just explain that. Paul helps us out in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Look at what he says. He says, if the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead, remember Jesus is the living cornerstone. What made him living? 
If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Do you see the connection? Jesus is the living cornerstone because in some way he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And what does he do? He gives life to your mortal bodies. That's how stones become living stones. How does a house become spiritual? Well, Paul helps us out in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Look at what he says. He says, do you, and in the Greek, you is plural. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. He's saying, do you not know that you, are, you collectively are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you. How does the house become spiritual? The, the spirit of God. And then Peter, it's, this is amazing. This passage is laced with Old Testament imagery. He shifts from the temple to the priesthood. What does he say? He says, you've been built up as a spiritual house to be what? A, a holy priesthood. Priests in the Old Testament all came from one tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel, all the priests came from the tribe of Levi. And their job was to offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the nation of Israel. And now Peter picks up that imagery and says, it's not just the people from the tribe of Levi. All believers, collectively and individually, are, are priests. And we are to offer spiritual sacrifices. What makes our sacrifices spiritual? It's the Spirit of God. What are spiritual sacrifices? It is anything done by the power of the Spirit of God for the glory of God. And so it's just good for you to ask the question, hey, is the Spirit moving here? Do the stones here look alive? Does the house seem spiritual? Meaning, if, if the temple in the Old Testament was a place where the presence of God resided, are people coming here on Sundays and meeting with God because we are convinced that God is here? Is the fruit of our lives one that reflects the spirit, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are these things evident in our life? It is good for you to ask the question, is, is the Spirit moving here? Now, this is, this is where we have to be really careful because this place is pretty packed right now. The first service had even more people in it. And so it's easy for us, it would be easy for us to conclude that because there's a lot of people here and a lot of people are coming every Sunday and the church is growing, it would be, it would be easy for us to conclude, obviously the Spirit's working because people keep coming. But attendance only tells us how many people showed up. It doesn't tell us at all whether the Spirit is working or not. Everyone could be here and no one could be listening right now. Y'all could be asleep for all I know. Or you could be so distracted that nothing spiritual is happening in your life. Attendance only tells us how many people are here. That is why every single week, my prayer, often on my knees, 
is God. May today be an unmistakable display of the power of your spirit. Because we want the spirit of God to move here. The spirit of God is welcome here for him to come and move and convict and illuminate and sanctify and unify. That is what we want the spirit of God to do. And we have room to grow. Like we want to see the spirit of God move and work even more in this place. And so let me just encourage you even even right now, Like, I believe that God is working at Watermark. I believe that the Spirit is working. People are putting their trust in Christ. People are breaking free from sin. Marriages are being healed, and yet we want more. And so let me just encourage you, right now, if you're willing, just take a moment, and in the quietness of your own heart, there is still time today for the Spirit of God to do a supernatural work in your heart. So just take a moment right where you are and pray. Say, Spirit of God, move in my life. Spirit of God, move in me. Pray that right now. Spirit, I pray that you would move and work in this room in a very significant way. The fourth question that I encourage you to ask of this church or any church is this. Are the people full of hope? Are the people full of hope? Where do I get that from? Well, look with me at verse 6. So, Peter says this, for it stands in Scripture. Here's what that means. Okay, Peter is simply explaining what informed what he just said. So he tells us that Jesus is the cornerstone, we're living stones built into a house. He's saying, let me just tell you where I get that from. He gets it from the Old Testament, which is, that's really instructive for us. It's really good anytime you're sharing wisdom or counsel, if you can attach it to scripture, that that's safe. That's something that I've learned from our elders. They make it a practice that anytime they are counseling or speaking wisdom into something, it is usually connected to scripture, which is an amazing thing. So that's what Peter is doing here. He's saying, hey, let me just tell you where I got everything I just said. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so here's what you need to understand. Isaiah chapter 28 is where verse 6 comes from. Peter is just quoting it. Isaiah 28 was a message of judgment towards a group of people among the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. And Isaiah's message is basically, if you will turn and trust God, it will save you from judgment. So what Peter is doing is he's taking that verse and he's applying it to us. We who are stones, because we know the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, you know what has happened? We will not be put to shame according to this verse. What does it mean to be put to shame? It means to incur the judgment of God, the wrath of God for your sin because we know the cornerstone, because we know Jesus. We have passed from judgment. All of God's wrath was poured out onto Jesus for us. But not only that, verse 7, Peter goes on and says, so the honor is for you who believe. So if you know Jesus Christ, it's not just that you won't incur the wrath of God, his judgment, you will also receive honor. 
When you get to heaven, God will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But for those who don't know Jesus, it goes on and says, but for those who do not believe, verse 7, and Peter's just quoting multiple places in Scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what Peter is doing is he's using Old Testament verses to simply describe the behavior of unbelievers. What do unbelievers do? They reject Jesus. They stumble over Jesus, meaning that they refuse to receive Jesus and receive his gospel. And they, they are offended at the idea of Jesus or needing a savior. The implication here is that what was true of believers will be the opposite for unbelievers. So whereas for the believer there will be no shame and there will be honor, for the unbeliever, on the last day, on the final day, when we stand before Jesus, there will be shame. There will be no honor. What does that mean? It means that judgment will come. If you refuse to put your trust in Jesus, who has, who has graciously, as a free gift, offered to take the wrath of God for you, if you refuse that gift, then that wrath will be for you and for your sin. And Peter is saying that because we know Jesus, the cornerstone, we have hope. Like we live with the expectation that when we die, we will live. And we will not experience that judgment, but we will, we will experience honor and we will experience joy. And so God's people in his church should be marked by hope that life in this world is the worst it will ever get and it will only get better. Randy Alcorn puts it this way. He says, for Christians, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. For unbelievers, it's the closest they will come to heaven. I was reminded recently that years ago, a man from Canada took a red paperclip and he got on Craigslist, he got on, I don't know what online platforms he got on, but he made 14 different trades. And he traded for free, he traded from a red paperclip all the way up to a house. Traded up. Started with a paperclip and ended with a house and there was no exchange of money. Believers understand that a monumental trade up is coming. That we will one day trade up from the red paper clip of this world to the house of heaven. And because of that, we have hope. And so I've been so encouraged in my first year here at Watermark to see people battle cancer in couples who have experienced miscarriage to see people wrestling with chronic pain or a wayward child and the pain that comes with that. And their hope has been in the Lord. Their trust, even in the darkest moments, has been in the Lord. And that lifestyle is so captivating because what it declares 
is our God is a rock. He is a refuge. He can be trusted in the good times and the bad. And so it's just good for any church that you look at. What you want is you want to be in a place where you look around and people can remind you that this is the worst it's going to get. And heaven is waiting. The fifth question that you want to ask is this. Is it on mission? Is this church or any church on mission? Look at what Peter says in verse 9. This is a beautiful verse, good one to memorize. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So what you need to understand is each one of those phrases is a title that God used with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And now God, through Peter, is taking titles that belong to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and he's applying them to a predominantly Gentile audience in the New Testament, which is amazing. Like, how good is God that, that he would set his affection on us in that way? And if you think about Israel in the Old Testament, what was the responsibility of Israel? Why did God form the nation of Israel? The nation of Israel existed to be a light to the surrounding nations. That the surrounding uh, pagan nations would look to Israel and see worship in, in lifestyles that declared there is no God like the one true God. And now Peter picks that up and places it on the church and says, hey, that's why we exist. He goes on, look at what he says. You're a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people of his own possession. Why? This is it. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is why that is why we are here. Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, said the point of your life is to point to Christ. That's why we are here. We have a mission. What is the mission? It is to declare to an unbelieving world the excellencies of God. What are the excellencies of God? It is everything great and good about God. What has he done? He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Darkness is associated with death. Light is associated with life. Do you know what our story is? If we know Jesus, here was our story. Here's our story. We were dead and now we're alive. That's it. That's your testimony. So if you came here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and yet today you trust Christ with your life, then here's your story. When you walked into this room, you were dead. When you leave, you're alive. So when you get together with your friends and they're like, how was that water world or watermark, whatever it is, how was that church thing today? You can say, well, when I showed up, I was dead. And when I left, I was alive. I would say it was a pretty good Sunday morning. What have you been up to? That's our story. That's what, that's what God has done. And so our mission is to declare to an unbelieving world the excellencies of this God. You want to ask the question, is this church or any church on mission? And let me just be clear. We, we here at Watermark, we have, a, we have a lot of room to grow in this area. 
We have a lot of room to grow in this area. And yet I'm so encouraged by what, by what is happening. Okay, I there, saw someone last week who, who brought an unbelieving friend to church. I was um, sitting at breakfast with my wife, was talking to the waitress and invited her to the porch on Tuesday night, the, the young adult ministry. And she was like, oh, you know what? My roommates have invited me to the porch every Tuesday. I'm like, way to go, Watermark. That's awesome. Was at breakfast another time and asked the waitress if I could pray for her. And she said, oh, I love that. Someone else asked me that the other day. I was like, way to go, Watermark. I think about a couple in our church that grew up in a different religion. And regularly they go and visit a worship site for that religion. Why? To build relationships and to, to share the gospel. There's so much good that is happening There are people here living on mission, and yet, let me just say, keep going. Keep keep going today. Go to lunch and start a conversation and look to turn it spiritual. We talked about this last month. Let's live with a sense of urgency, not obligation, not out of shame that we're not doing enough, but let's just go. Let's ask the Spirit of God to empower us and to give us opportunities to share about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The final question I would encourage you to ask of this church or any church is this, are the people authentic? Are the people authentic? Verse 10, Peter says this. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What's Peter's point? His point is reject hypocrisy in your own life. Let's not be people who believe one thing and behave a different way. Let's let our beliefs and our behavior match. Because when our beliefs and behavior match, we can become a compelling community. People can look into our lives and say, they have something that I want. People will be drawn to Christ because they see Christ in us, changing us. But when our lives are full of hypocrisy, when we say something and do another, when we believe one way and behave a different way, it begs the question from unbelievers, what's the point? There's nothing different. And so I just encourage you to look around this place or wherever you go. Is there authenticity? Are you able to look around and see life change. You can look around and be like, it's, it's the real deal. These people are the real deal. They, it, it's clear that they really believe what they believe because their lives are changing by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I love that here at Watermark, one of the largest ministries at the church is regeneration, our recovery ministry, which happens on Monday nights. You know what that, you know what that tells me? It tells me that there's about a thousand of you, the church, the people of God who are saying, look, I, I want to get rid 
of certain sin in my life because I want my life to be 100% authentic. I don't want to believe one thing but behave a different way. That's what we want. So what do we do with a talk like this? Okay, what's the application? Let me just encourage you with three things. Number one, I want to be very clear that we here at Watermark, we have a long way to go. Like if it feels like if you're a visitor here and you're like, man, that guy seems like he's making Watermark out to be the poster child of a healthy church. Look, people, there's a lot of things about Watermark that are healthy and there are a lot of areas that we still need to grow. That's why I love that that leadership is consistently talking about, hey, where are we falling short? Where do we need to give more time and attention so that we can be a healthier church. We still have a lot of room to grow. We do not have it all figured out. We are not the poster child for church. But we are seeking to be faithful. The second thing I want you to know is that there are plenty of amazing churches in the Metroplex. Like there are amazing, godly churches that if you were to ask all six of these questions of several churches in the Metroplex, they would be crushing all six questions. And so I just want to celebrate that God is doing an amazing work through tons of communities of faith. Christ followers gathering together in different parts of this Metroplex. And then finally, and I hope you don't miss this, here's the thing. We said from the beginning that the church is not a building, the, the, the church is a people. So here's the thing. In order to have a healthy church, you have to have healthy people. So if you want to belong to a healthy church, then you have to do your part to be a healthy person in that healthy church. And so if you are a member here at Watermark, I'm encouraging you to ask these questions of Watermark. But when I'm encouraging you to ask these questions of Watermark, I'm not encouraging you to just ask these questions of the Watermark staff. You are a stone here. So as you ask these questions of Watermark, you are asking these questions of yourself. So the question you should be asking is this, are you all about Jesus? Are you all in with the people of God? Is the spirit moving in your life? Are you full of hope? Are you living on mission each day? Are you being authentic? We all have room to grow. And yet I believe that God wants to do an even greater work in our lives. You know what the biggest difference is between Watermark and Costco? At Costco, we're customers. We're consumers. But here we're stones. Here we're stones. Here we're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, why? So that we may go out and proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. May we live like it. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, thank you for what you are doing here among the people at Watermark. And thank you for what you are doing in many churches around the Metroplex right now, Lord. I want to pray for, for all of the churches that are proclaiming the gospel and teaching the Bible right this minute. I pray for your spirit to be moving in an overwhelming way that many churches around DFW and all around the world would be able to walk away from today saying that was an unmistakable display of the power of the Spirit. And I just ask you to do even more here at Watermark. God, where, where we are unhealthy and where we need to grow, would you identify it? Would you convict us of it? And would you lead us forward, Lord God? But may we be a people who are all about you and all in here. May we be filled with hope. May we welcome your spirit in our midst, Lord God. May we be a people who live on mission today. May we be authentic. I pray that you would be transforming our lives and conforming us to the image of Jesus every single day. And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, then I pray that there would be someone in this room right now who is understanding who you are, Jesus, for the very first time. And then they would sense, even in this moment, that you, Jesus, are calling them by name to come and to surrender their life to you. I pray that they would cry out in prayer to you and receive your gift of eternal life. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.